It's 2022, which means it's a renewal year and you need CEUs. 30 if you're in South Carolina, and three of those have to be on ethics, jurisprudence, and whatever else goes in that category. Look, the year's going by fast, and you can knock out all those requirements with a MedBridge subscription, and you can get 40% off with the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD. I have a friend named Shelly, and she's a little lazy. Her words, not mine. She hasn't done any Con Ed over the past year and a half until she got her subscription set up. And what she does is she just puts modules on her phone while she watches 90 Day Fiance. Great show, by the way. Is she learning anything? No. But is she getting the local governing bodies off her bat? Yes. Your subscription also includes NSCA credits, OCS certification prep courses, patient education, home exercise programs, EMR integration. There's tons and tons of resources. Again, use the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD to get 40% off your individual subscription. That's the best price that MedBridge offers, okay? Only the best for our listeners. Now enjoy the episode. Welcome to another episode of the Better Faster Podcast. Today, I'm joined, first time ever, by Dr. Josh Jeffrey. So Josh graduated from University of South Carolina yesterday, so he's officially a DPT now. And, and you've been here, what, no less than four hours, and I've heard you call yourself Dr. Jeffrey no less than 16 times. Congratulations, man. <laughs> that, thank you, but that is a bunch of BS. Uh, that, oh, man. No, I, that's going to take some getting used to hearing, hearing that. But uh, again, I appreciate I appreciate all that, that you've done and everybody else that's support me along throughout through this journey you know definitely it takes a lot of people to get through something like that so I'm, I'm you know honored and humbled that I was able to, to graduate yesterday and can't wait to start seeing some patients oh yeah man it's gonna be a good year so we got you and your classmate Corey Stewart Dr. Corey Stewart starting mm-hmm. so we're, we're real excited about that so we're kind of at the mercy of LLR so as soon as mm-hmm. license come in we can get y'all full I know man we are we are so so lucky honestly to have Corey coming on man he's mm-hmm. such he's not only going to be a great therapist, but he's just a, a great dude. And so having, you know, people like that in your organization is, you know, that's what helps, you know, you know, ends up making you a, you know, a great company is having mm-hmm. people like that. So, you know, he's going to be a great PT because he's so knowledgeable, but he's just also a great, great human being. So I'm pumped to have him uh, as a coworker now. Absolutely, man. Corey is my student for 12 weeks. Got to know him really well. He's, he's awesome, man. I think we've got the dream team coming up here. <laughs> it's going to be fun, yeah. man. It's going to be fun. So uh, it's almost Christmas time. I, I got you guys a, a present. I got everyone a present for the office. I got us a hangboard, right? Oh so, yeah, baby. yeah. It's coming in. It's coming in next week. We got to mount this thing to the wall. But y'all was watching uh, Free Solo the other night, <laughs> and so uh, Alex Honnold, come at me. Um, <laughs> it's gonna be good, man. So oh, man. I, I can't wait to see what kind of contest we got coming up with that. Um, that that dude is uh, he's crazy. He's 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 gonna die, man. He's all his friends. All his friends have died. You see that? Uh, have you seen that movie yet? It's like a montage of yeah. all the climbers that decided to abandon their harnesses. Every single one of them, it shows like they're, it shows them climbing, it shows like their day of birth and their death day, man. It's crazy. Yeah, man. That is something that I have no desire to, uh, to get into. I, I mean, heights, I'm usually not afraid of heights and things like that, but usually I'm not afraid of heights when I also feel like I'm in a safe <laughs> position. And so uh, I, I can't imagine that, the, the, the fearlessness of that. But I mean, plus the, the physical part of it too, like that stuff's not easy, man. So I'm pumped to, to play around the skateboard. Oh, oh no doubt, man. It's, it's, it's good, man. So that, that movie will make your heart pound. And I can't, so here's our segue right here. I can't imagine the hand strength, but the endurance that this guy, Alex Honnold has. And that's why we're going to, that's one of the reasons why we're going to talk about steady state aerobic work today. So yeah. I want to start by just defining 
what that is, what we mean by steady state, and then want to kind of break it down as simply as we can into why it's important from a from a training standpoint, from a functional standpoint, and also a physiological standpoint for longevity. Right. So there, I think there are two components to to that uh, when we talk about defining it. So first, it, you had the word aerobic in there. So what does aerobic actually mean? And so when we think about um, energy production within the body, we need energy to be able to, to, to function and to do things. And, and there are uh, multiple systems within the body that are responsible for generating that energy to allow us to do what we want to do. And so all those systems are three primary systems that are, they're all working at all times. You know, it's never like one is solely on and the others are off, but depending on the intensity of an activity or the duration of it, uh, certain systems are going to be, uh, you know, the primary system or the one that's providing the bulk of the energy for that activity. And so when you think of those three systems, you have more, uh, you know, your anaerobic side, which there's, you know, that's split up into two different systems within that. We're not talking about that today. And then the aerobic side. And aerobic simply means with oxygen. So that means in, in this process of generating energy or some generating ATP, which is the, you know, the, the unit of energy that we're talking about right now, generating ATP, uh, you know, oxygen is involved in the process. So with oxygen there. So um, the aerobic system is primarily responsible for uh, longer term energy production, you know, or, or, you know, when we are doing something at a lower intensity for a long duration, um, that the, the, for a few reasons, one, the actual process itself by which the, the aerobic energy system or ATP is generated aerobically takes a little bit longer, right? It doesn't happen as fast. The reactions don't happen as fast. So, so higher intensity exercise, we rely on some of those other systems for that energy production. Um, but it, it also plays some other roles in supporting anaerobic metabolism in recovery and some different things. But um, that's primarily what, uh, you know, the word aerobic means. We're talking about steady state aerobic work. And steady state simply means exactly that. It means going at the same rate and not adjusting from that, not going up, not going down, staying steady and going at the same rate for a longer period of time. Again, if we're keeping these efforts aerobic, they're lower intensity and they're for a long period of time. So that's a, a quick definition definition of what we're talking about with steady state aerobic exercise. So just to talk about maybe how we can plug this in, what or how what does it look like? So parameters maybe, what, how much, how often, what kind of intensity, what are some things that we can look for with that? Right, so... You know, if we think about um, aerobic versus anaerobic, there's going to be a threshold or a certain level in which if the intensity exceeds that level or, uh, you know, for, for a certain duration, your body's going to have to uh, essentially adjust and start producing energy faster to keep up with the demands that you're putting it under. So um, that's when it's going to rely on more of those anaerobic processes. And that, you know, could be termed more of an anaerobic threshold, right? So, if, you know, aerobic training has to be below that anaerobic threshold because we're not looking to accumulate all those byproducts that we see with anaerobic metabolism. So the, the actual intensity is going to be pretty low. So uh, a good rule of thumb there um, is, is you know, 70% of, of heart rate, not really much more than that. You can go by zones. You know, I think zone one, uh, it goes up technically to like 74% of max heart rate, I believe. Uh, you can, you know, look at it in terms of beats per minute. A lot of people will advocate between maybe 120, 130 beats per minute, but not any more than that. But I think the consensus is it should be something where you feel like, oh man, I could be going fast right now and that means you're probably doing it right it's not meant to be a maximal effort you should be able to hold a conversation your your output should stay the same 
as you go. And also, these have to be somewhat longer efforts um, if we're really trying to have the benefits. Because we know, uh, as we mentioned, the process of, by which our metabolism happens, it's a slower turnover. And when we talk about actually you know, moving into more of you know, beta oxidation or oxidizing fatty acids for energy, it takes a while for that to rev up. So, um, you know, there's a lot of literature on like crossover effects and things like that, but essentially you've got to be going for longer than 20 or 30 minutes really to start, dive, you know, really diving into a lot of those uh, you know, metabolic benefits. So for me, a good parameter would be 30 minutes, 20 minutes, maybe 20 minutes to start, 30 minutes of something that's a very low intensity conversational pace. And it could be, uh, it, you know, the idea would be do some type of cyclical modality, a bike a row uh, or a combination of multiple of those type of things where if you're a runner it could be a run uh, but the goal is to keep the impact low keep it cyclical keep the intensity low and go for a long period of time yeah and i just want to reiterate the point too about the intensity 120 to 130 is is very very low so when you we're talking about if you, if you have the capacity or luxury with a, whatever device you have a heart rate monitor smartwatch that's easy to keep up with but if you don't have access to that, the, the talk test, right? Someone should be able to have a full conversation. Not that they're still going to get just a few words in. They should be able to have a normal conversation just like this podcast right now. And that's, that's a pretty low intensity. So, you know, for people who are just used to ass kicking workouts where they got to feel a burn, they got to be feeling like they're about to puke or have a sweat angel. This is a lot less than that. It's honestly boring, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So it's a thing where you might want to put your headphones on and zone out. But it's very, very important for a lot of reasons, for, for competitions and, and training in that regard, performance, I should say. Um, but also from a, a physiology standpoint, I mean, the heart is probably the biggest thing, right? So there are people that call the, this type of training, they call it developing what's called an eccentric heart. And what that essentially means is that you're stretching the left ventricle, right? So you're increasing over time, you're going to increase the cavity, the ability for that heart to fill up more blood, so blah, 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 and then push it out, right? It increases the stroke volume. That's different than a pathological type of left ventricular, left ventricular hypertrophy. You know, the, the pathological kind is where you're basically going to see the, the thickness of the heart wall from the inside start to get thicker, and it kind of works in the opposite way. It can't fill up with as much blood and also can't pump it out quite efficiently. You know, that's associated with hypertension, things like that, um, which isn't what we want. But, um, you know, the, the point with that is that if the heart can pump more blood to the entire body, that's going to be a huge, huge performance enhancer. Um, in the sport and the competition world, it's going to make you feel better if you're just a, a lay person that you know likes to work, likes to feel good, like to look good naked, that kind of thing too. And then just another caveat with that too is that with time, we're also going to increase the mitochondria in our slow twitch muscle fibers, which there are some people are saying that th this might be a, a key component in terms of us living longer and more productive lives. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And we're getting into a little bit more of the mechanisms under um, by which this, this really is helpful. And I kind of break it down into three areas. Um, you mentioned a, a lot of those areas already, but the, the first area is we're trying to use this to improve the ability of the body uh, to supply more oxygen to the working tissues. And that happens through, like you mentioned, uh, cardiac hypertrophy of the left, left ventricle. And this, again, it's not a thickening of the wall like you'd see, uh, you know, in, in cases that uh, you know are more pathologic in nature. Um, this is you know, as you mentioned, it's going to be a larger stroke volume. It stretches the muscle. The heart ends up being able to have more, um, you know, blood pumped with each beat. That's number one. 
Um, number two, you mentioned mitochondrial density. That's awesome. That's essentially what we're doing there is we're increasing the aerobic capacity of any given muscle fiber. So people, you know, we're, we, we know right now you can't make type two fibers into type one fibers, right? You're born with a predetermined amount of type one and type two muscle fibers in any given muscle within your body. You can't really do much with that, right? But what we can do is we can uh, address and transition some of the phenotypes of those muscle fibers, which is the actual expression. And what we can do there is we can transition some of these fibers from more glycolytic in nature to more aerobic in nature. So they're still type one or type two. They're not changing designation, but you see a bit of a translation uh, or transition. And that allows those muscle fibers to be, to produce energy more aerobically. Again, putting off anaerobic metabolism. When we talk about performance benefits, that's a huge component. The longer you can put off anaerobic metabolism, the better. Um, another area of this is increasing capillary density. So, you know, again, if we're talking about oxygen supply to the working tissues, we're trying to get blood there, having increased capillary density per unit of muscle is going to allow that. And that's, that's a huge portion to, uh, a component too. So we're addressing it through uh, the heart itself, through the capillaries themselves, through the mitochondria, which are going to be What's utilizing that oxygen and actually taking it through, uh, uh, you know, through the process of actually making ATP, um, you know, that's the powerhouse of the cell there. And those are, are, are huge, right? That's that the actually underlying what's happening um, in terms of the mechanisms. But how does this actually translate into performance? Because that's what everybody really wants to know. And, you know, you know, forever people assume aerobic means, you know, endurance activities. It means, you know, marathon runners, triathletes, yada, yada, yada. But, um, for me, this is a huge component of functional fitness and CrossFitters um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, if you did the open this year, you realized that those workouts were freaking long this year, right? There was three or four of them that were probably going to be 20 minutes or close to it for most people, um, which is a, you know, a, a totally different, uh, you know, or, you know, differently than the way a lot of people train for it, right? Um, so for me, I, I need to build that base. I want to build that base number one first, because if I have that base built, it's only going to help me when I go to build, you know, some of that, that intensity later on. Um, but two, when I talk, when we talk about CrossFit in general, a lot of CrossFit is um, higher intensity bouts repeated over time. So being able to develop, you know, this, you know, the aerobic system through this steady state exercise allows us to recover uh, between workouts in the same day, between, you know, day to day, between workout to workout, week to week and something like the ocean uh, in the open. It's a huge aspect of recovery because it's a lot of the processes by which our body flushes out byproducts and restocks and recharges uh, is going to be aerobic. So um, that's a huge aspect of it too. Um, and, and then honestly, it, you know, all of this underlying stuff and what it's going to do is help push up the anaerobic threshold. It's going to help push up the curve because if we can operate at a higher intensity aerobically, we aren't going to have that same accumulation of byproducts later on. So it's like, you know, you know, my, you know, your rich Froning's 85%, you know, is a lot, you know, for me, I have to go a lot higher percentage to be at that same output. But that output for him is still aerobic. That's why he can sustain it a lot longer. And it's building up that base. And people want to say that, oh, you know, just hardcore CrossFit type training, you know, balls to the wall, lay on the floor at the end of the workout because you're just gassed is, is you know, the way to go. But if you watch old videos of Froning back in the day, those day in the lights, he was doing a ton of easy aerobic work. And it was because intuitively he figured out that helps him recover and it helps him build that base to, so which he can operate, you know, at a high relative or high absolute intensity at a relatively low intensity for him yeah yeah absolutely so just to just to make sure i heard that right so crossfitters need this just as much as everybody else if not more because this is gonna allow them to push more through those tougher ass kissing ass kicking ass kissing <laughs> <laughs> yes workouts um and then 
uh, they will also be able to recover quicker in between, in between events as well to not feel as beat up, probably just feel better in everyday life. And um, from a health standpoint, tons of benefit to that too. And, you know, I guess on the clinical side of things as well, this is something that I, I pretty much encourage all my patients to, you know, keep in mind, they come see me one-on-one for an hour. So I'm not going to waste their time hopping on a bike for 30 minutes doing steady state work. Sometimes I will work that in, you know, into some type of a circuit with some street movements, that kind of thing. We're just monitoring the heart rate. Because remember, the exercise is the vehicles to get you where to go. But we'll at least add this into their home exercise program. You know, even though we spent time in the clinic working on, you know, these movements, these exercises, these manual therapy techniques, it's just as important for you to be hitting X, Y, and Z, this steady state work. And here's the reason why, so on and so forth. And I also see that these adaptations from people that are new, they happen so fast as well. I'm talking like within a week or two, people are just feeling a lot better. Like, hey, you know, usually by the end of the day, I'm exhausted. I'm just ready to pass out and go to bed. But I had a ton of energy. I felt like I could keep going and you know, able to push through the, the workouts we do in rehab a lot better within a week too. So you know, I think it's a very much a performance enhancer on the PT side of things too. And I mean, these are people with like, you know, chronic diseases like Parkinson's and, you know, everybody in between that have, you know, their post-ops and so on and so forth. Yeah. So um, when I think about it from how, how to implement in the clinic, and again, my clinical practice is, is relatively new. Um, uh, so mainly on rotations and things like that. Uh, it can be as simple as per, per, you know, prescribing or encouraging walking outside the clinic, you know, and I mean, that's, you know, for someone that could be the right intensity there. This doesn't have to be anything crazy. It is again, something that is repeatable and sustainable mm-hmm. in which, you know, they can, they can have that conversation. So it can be walking, it can be a biking, it can be something like that. Um, and again, the, the goal would be to build up a little bit of a duration there outside the clinic. Um, but obviously that's not necessarily practical within the clinic. So for me, I might take some different uh, different routes from more of an interval type perspective there. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are other benefits from doing, you know, doing intervals and, and, and what I would term aerobic intervals, not necessarily high intensity intervals, uh, can also still have a huge benefit. And so those are, are still repeatable type efforts. So um, 10 minutes on the bike or 30 seconds of it is a little bit higher effort. You can get their heart rate up a little bit higher. They're breathing a little bit higher. They start sweating a little bit more. And and then 30 seconds of a, a an easy spin on the bike or 30 seconds of rest and 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 keeping each one of those 30 seconds of what you could determine your work set uh, of that minute uh, consistent across you know aerobic uh, you know best the best way to know if an effort is aerobic is if it's repeatable if it's repeatable it's going to be aerobic you know they, that those kind of things are are almost as uh, you know uh, synonyms there, aerobic, mm-hmm. sustainable, repeatable, whatever you want to use to describe it. So if you're using intervals in the clinic and they're able to repeat their effort there, you know, that's a way to still get aerobic work in the clinic in a shorter time frame. So I would do that in the clinic and then make prescribe longer walks or longer, easy bike stuff outside of the clinic. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to do intervals. I'm just, I was actually thinking about an example I had this morning. So I'm treating a patient who is dealing with some cancer related fatigue currently. And so her goal is to be able to get through treatment, to be able to feel good, to be able to live her life. So, you know, something we did in the clinic was we had a clock running. We made sure she was moving the whole time, that we were checking her heart rate periodically, but talking the whole time. We split our time between being on the bike, doing some air squats, did a little bit of light sled work, and some farmer's walks. We cycled through that. We moved the whole time. She didn't get out of breath. She kept her heart rate close to 130, um, felt good at the end, and it also was not boring to her, and it was really important that she worked in some street moves along the way, so I kind of met her where she was at. Again, just keep in mind for these purposes, for like this podcast, exercises are just the vehicles to get you where you want to go. There's a ton of ways to do it. And we did that for 30 minutes straight too. Yeah, no, I love that, man. And so I think that works awesome in the clinic, but it also works in the CrossFit gym setting. So it's very hard in an hour CrossFit class to convince people they need to do 30 minutes of, of 
easy biking as part of that, right? That's probably not going to go over well with your members a lot of times. So for me, you know, that would be an instance where I would make it mixed modal, like you just did in that treatment session where you had, you know, it wasn't just 30 minutes on the bike, it was a 30 minute clock at the intensity you were desiring. So you're still getting the same cardiovascular uh, benefits that you're shooting for as if it was on a bike, but you're incorporating other movements that also might serve a purpose. So for me, a lot of times what I would do is I would put their accessory work in an aerobic setting. So I might have them go the bike, then they're getting off doing a single arm press, get back on the rower, then get up and they're doing ring rows with this tempo and then they're back on the bike and they're getting off and doing split squats at a tempo. And now their accessory work rather than, you know, being a separate piece there, maybe it's something that's like a little bit more, uh, you know, not necessarily quite, uh, you know, as fun, quote unquote, by itself, just like the the 30 minutes on the bike by itself isn't quite as fun. And now you're kind of working those things together. So you can design these things to where their their heart rate stays in the zone that you're trying to, to have it in for the entire session, um, whether it be a PT session or a gym session. And then you can incorporate movements that are uh, meaningful to them or important for what you're working on. And also those movements, you want to make sure you're picking something that is um, appropriate from like a loading standpoint and a complexity standpoint, and that you're not necessarily going to have other limiting factors there. So this isn't something where you're, you're, you're probably getting off in this instance and hitting, you know, maximal effort type work in between in this scenario. It's more something that's, uh, you know, very specific to the individual that they can repeat over and over and over again. Yeah. So a lot of good points, a lot of actionable content with that. And I think the, the last thing I just want to address was just the psychology behind this. Um, I, I just know because we work with a lot of CrossFitters, I, I know if they're new to this concept, if this was never part of their life, part of their training, they will balk at it. You know, mm -hmm. like, no, this is, this is not training. You know, I have to be able to work at this intensity, this kind of thing too. So I know one way that I've seen you program before is that this is when you'll incorporate two of it. It's like, yeah. Hey, we're going to hit this, this mixed modal stuff. We're going to hit these Olympic lists, this CrossFit stuff, but just in the morning, just do this for me, right? Just, mm -hmm. just do this steady state work. And a lot of times I think that they feel the difference, right? You know, after a couple of weeks, they, they realize it's a performance enhancement and they're kind of balled in. Yeah. And you know, that, uh, you know, obviously some of the athletes that I'm incorporating that with are fortunate enough to have schedules and lifestyles that allow them to be able to do it. But um, my, my top athletes that I work with, you know, these are people that have either have been to the games, that have been to regionals, that have been to sanctionals that are qualifying for these different things currently. Um, I have some of them doing 60 to, nine, 60 to 90 minutes of easy work you know, five or six times a week on top of their regular training or what we're doing in the off season, especially is there, I'm pulling out a lot of the intense work because realistically, you know, again, some CrossFit, you know, purists are probably not going to like this, but if we're treating this like a season purists. and we, yeah, CrossFit purists, if they're, yeah, if, if you were treating this like a season and we really want the person to be able to be their best on game day, you know, on game day, when we know what day it is, we actually aren't going to do high intense CrossFit type work all year round. Because again, I know what day they need to be ready. The idea from CrossFit is that we want to be ready for the unknown and unknowable at all times. And that's great. But when we're talking about from a sport, there needs to be seasons. And in the off season, a lot of times I'll split sessions and it'll be two shorter sessions. And one person will have in that first session, you know, it could be easier aerobic work in the morning, something low intensity and the evening is, is purely resistance training based. Um, and we're not really doing anything intense for a while or it's something like more like skill work. Um, so uh, for me, uh, you know, in the end, it, it, you're right. I like to split these into two sessions if the person can and, and and I I work a lot of aerobic work with my people and I think it helps them um, get the most out of the rest of their training as well um, and sometimes to keep it a little less boring I'll incorporate skill work into it so you know we might do a, a, a 60 minute around the world session where it's one minute bike one minute row one minute ski one minute um, single unders and uh, one minute plank 
right? And that's, you do that, um, you know, for five, five rounds of that. And then you get, you take a minute and there you take a little bit of time, work on a skill. Maybe we work on um, some pegboard work or some, some stuff on the rings and then come back and then do, um, you know, five rounds of a, you know, easy sled drag farmers carry and, um, you know, another bike and then go get off to another skill. It, it can be flow. It doesn't have to be 60 straight minutes on the bike, but the premise is the same of all those principles we've talked about. That still sounds boring shit to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but those people, you know, they, they recognize that if they want to be the best at their sport, they have to, you know, it, it, it's going to be boring sometimes. Yeah, and we've made this point yeah. before, too. I think if you take anybody who's the best at their sport, world-class athlete, if you actually looked at their training and looked at it on paper, it's going to look really, really boring. And that just goes back to the point that the fundamentals work. You know, mm -hmm. you go back to the basic exercise, exercise science principles. So and we talked about athletes, patients. For me personally, Whenever I got a competition coming up, like a local competition, because I'm not mm -hmm. a stud like regional athletes, like, you know, eight, 10 weeks out, I just set my alarm 30 minutes earlier and get up and get on the bike 30 minutes before mm -hmm. I start my day. And and it makes a world of difference because um, I recently yep. jumped to a competition where I didn't train at all and I just felt like shit in between events and just could not recover whatsoever. So it's, yeah. it's bad. Yeah. I think it's it's an underrated aspect that I think people forget is is so necessary, man. And uh, I think it, it's even more important in the, in the off season when resistance mm -hmm. training is, is is high and you're really working on, on that type of stuff. Um, you know, like right now in the current season, we're, we did the open what, a couple months ago, right? Um, I couldn't care less what my athletes' fran times are right now because it, it doesn't matter if they're competing in the sport, right? Um, if they're competing in the sport, I need to, I need to have them ready next October um, or whenever their sanction was or whatever it is. Right now, I'm building a ton of volume on the aerobic work and we're doing a ton of very specific resistance training to them and trying to build up whatever it is that they need to work on. But right now, I, again, it doesn't matter what their fran time is. It matters what they can do in October. Right. So um, right now, especially, this is a time to start implementing that if you want to compete. Yeah, and that raises another good point about when you want to peak and about how long those adaptations last, right? They're, they're pretty transient, right? When someone's at like that highest performance mm -hmm. at that peak, it, it's hard to sustain that forever and ever on end. So you got to be kind of thinking about this big picture from the macro level. Yeah, and if you were thinking about maybe, okay, I want to implement this myself, um, it can start just like you mentioned. Find 20 to 30 minutes to where you can add something in um, or maybe replace some of your intensity or um, on off days, find 20 to 30 minutes on your rest day and make it a little bit more of an active recovery day versus a rest day. Um, and again, if you're trying to think of ways to include this with your patients, don't be afraid to get their heart rate up in session right? That is, there's so, I mean, we know that how, how important general exercise is and, and cardiovascular exercise is in pretty much every single person that we interact with, right? So um, don't be afraid to get that up in session and don't be afraid in your HEPs to talk to people about aerobic work um, on top of giving them, you know, their, their three different exercises that you're going to give them for three sets of 10, like, you know, the vast majority of our professions probably given them, you know, what, let's see if we can upgrade our home exercise programs too and, and uh, start to, you know, provide a little insight and, and program a little bit of energy system work with them too. Awesome. All right, Dr. Jeffrey, that was a, that was a great episode. Congratulations again on graduation and we'll be back next week. And one last thing, if you liked the episode, please head on over to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, and leave us a five-star review. That way we can reach more people. And if you have any questions, a topic that you want us to cover, or maybe a person that you think we should interview, hit us up on Instagram at BetterFasterPodcast. You can also keep up with updates on our physical therapy and strength and conditioning businesses by giving us follows at VertexPT and at VertexStrength. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Monday. This episode is brought to you by Vertex PT Specialist. One patient per doctor physical therapy per hour. 
guaranteed the best physical therapy ever. Check us out at vertexpt.com or on the gram at vertexpt.